0: present The Unbelievable Truth, the panel game
1: built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Unbelievable Truth, the panel show about incredible truths and barely credible lies. I'm David Mitchell. This evening's panel were recently described to me by the producer as four up-and-coming comedians, by which I'm afraid he just meant that they were out of bed and on their way. (laughs) Please welcome Susan Kalman, Lloyd Langford, Josh Widdicombe and David (laughs) O'Doherty. The rules are as follows. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five pieces of true information which they should attempt to smuggle past their opponents, cunningly concealed amongst the lies. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth, or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. First up is Lloyd Langford. Lloyd is from Port Talbot in Wales. Looking slightly run down and often shrouded in smoke, Lloyd is a very popular comedian. (laughs) Lloyd, your subject is fakes, described by my encyclopedia as counterfeit items or behaviour intended to mislead, deceive or defraud. Off you go, Lloyd. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you.
2: Female brown trout fake orgasms to encourage males to ejaculate prematurely, which is why from now on I'm going to take a spare pair of pants whenever I go fishing.
0: (laughs) I'm going to go straight in there. Brown trout, absolutely. The lady brown trout pretends to have had the lady moment. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Yes. (laughs) Um... In
1: 2001, research conducted by biologists from Sweden's National Board of Fisheries found that the female trout faked orgasms in 69 cases out of 117. The uh, slight titter at the number 69. (laughs) (laughs) The trout mate by simultaneously releasing sperm and eggs, but often the female trout will perform the mating ritual of quivering violently with an open mouth, but refrain from releasing eggs, while the male always releases its sperm. It's thought this trick allows the females to avoid mating with undesirable males.
3: But they're they're still doing it.
2: From the male trout's point of view, it's sort of win-win. Yeah. (laughs) In uh, in human terms, it's known as your 20s. (laughs) (laughs) One of the earliest instances of scamming concerns the Bible, and the now excised Paul's eighth letter to the Corinthians. (laughs) Bored by the dryness of their previous correspondence, Paul adopted the persona of a Nigerian prince... (laughs) (laughs) ...and promised the Corinthians a large amount of shekels in return for a small admin fee. (laughs) Before the 2003 invasion of Iraq, the CIA debated flooding the country with a faked video depicting Saddam Hussein having
4: sex with a teenage boy. (laughs) Josh. Yeah. I think they probably did. That's just the kind of thing they'd get up to. They didn't, but it is true that they considered
1: it, Mm. which is what Lloyd said. So, Mm. well done, you get a point. Uh, The CIA planned the video to look like grainy hidden camera footage with the intention of shaming the former Iraqi dictator. However, a video was made showing Osama bin Laden and his followers sitting around a campfire getting drunk and talking about having sex with boys. According to one CIA official, neither would have been effective because the target
2: audience would not have viewed the act as taboo. The film, entitled Oiled Up Dictator, Weapons of Ass Destruction... (laughs) (laughs) ...is currently available on Netflix. (laughs) Silent movie star Harold Lloyd blew off part of his hand while fooling around with what he thought was a fake prop bomb. It wasn't. His famous stunt in Safety Catch, 1925, where Lloyd precariously hangs off the clock hands of Big Ben, was facilitated by Lloyd's ability to magnetise his replacement metal fingers. There are more
4: fake doctors practising in India than real ones. Josh. I think the fake doctors to the real ones in India. It just felt...
1: Was it 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 someone in the audience going, yeah, that's true?
4: (laughs) No, (laughs) no. No, Do you know what? I saw Susan consider it, and I thought, Ah. if she's considering it, then I can get in on the ground floor here, and so I'm going for it.
1: You're absolutely right. Wow. There are... um, There are 40,000 fake doctors operating in Delhi alone, according to K.K. Coley, chair of the Anti-Quackery Committee of the Delhi Medical
4: (laughs) Council.
3: So Josh's tactic is now to watch me rather than listen to the lecture. That is is
4: just what, that's my tactic in life. (laughs) (laughs) Mother Teresa's
2: personal physician of 39 years was later revealed to be a fraudulent plumber from Lucknow who figured a woman (laughs) that close to God wouldn't need too much looking after. (laughs) Suspicions arose after he tried to install a washer to combat a urinary infection. (laughs) The art forger Madame Claude Latour was so skilled that some of her faked Morris Utrillo paintings fooled even Utrillo himself. Though Utrillo's powers of observation
4: were later called into question. Josh, I'm going to go with the the faked Utrillo paintings the, the, so that fooled him. Did you? I heard Susan no. gasp
1: after you buzzed. Was that entirely based on? No, it wasn't. No, it no, was. It was. So, it was sounds I was, like Susan was frustrated by that buzz.
3: Yeah. He's just looking at me now. No He's looking at me in a sexual way. He's looking at me. <laughs> He's looking at me like I'm a piece of meat, and do you know what? I deserve better.
1: <laughs> oh, this is like Big Brother.) <laughs> 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 but you're absolutely right, Josh. Uh, it is true that the) oh, that the archfoe and Madame Claude Latour was so skilled at faking Maurice Utrillo paintings
4: that Utrillo himself was often fooled. Can I just say for the record, I'll be covering my eyes just so that Susan knows that I'm not cheating.
3: <laughs> I know go- you're not cheating, Josh. I know you're not cheating, Josh. <laughs> not. It's just—it's just about just flirting. It's just about harmless flirting. Yeah, no, it's I mean, nothing it's harmless. Flirting. Not
4: actually cheating.
1: is—he mean, is, is allowed to look at you.
3: Yes, and In he order does. to
1: derive advantage in the game, yeah. if he believes that it would no, do and so. No, listen, it's
3: absolutely right. Oh. You know, when you watch Moonlighting and there was just such sexual chemistry between the two people that it turned into kind of almost an aggression? That's what I think you're seeing between Josh and I tonight. <laughs> I mean, I'm practically pregnant with the testosterone. Mm.
1: Now, the rest of us are hugely aroused just watching the
0: pair of It's, um...
1: If only you could see us at home. <laughs> I, I, look, I've said, it, I've said it for several years. I think the show would go quicker if we wore clothes. <laughs> but, um, you know, John, John Naismith, the producer, he's got his standards, he's got his system. He's, gone, he's come too far
2: in show business to stop now. Um, anyway, Lloyd... <clears throat> Comedian Steve Martin paid $1.3 million for a faked Mona Lisa, specifically because a quirk of the artwork means it is the ears rather than the eyes that follow you around the room. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lloyd. And at
1: the end of that round, Lloyd, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel, which is that silent movie star Harold Lloyd... Oh, no! No. ...blew off part of his hand while fooling around with a real bomb that he thought was a fake prop. Harold Lloyd lost his right thumb and forefinger in the 1919 accident, just as his career was starting to take off. Lloyd would hide his disability with expensive, flesh-coloured prosthetic gloves whenever photographed. And that means, Lloyd, you've scored one point! Yes, silent movie star Harold Lloyd lost part of his hand while fooling around with what he thought was a fake prop bomb. It wasn't, and he had to hastily commission a black sign with white writing saying, (laughs) ARGH! In 2007, a clerical error led a court in Naples to summons Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse and Tweety Pie to the trial of a man accused of faking cartoon products. As witnesses, Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse were no use at all, but once in the stand, Tweety Pie sang like a canary. (laughs) Next up is Josh Widdicombe. Josh is the host of the five live show Fighting Talk, or as it's known in Scotland, Talk. (laughs) Josh, your subject is holes. Openings or hollowed-out areas made in or through a solid
4: body or mass. (laughs) Off you go, Josh. And I can't look at Susan while doing this. Right. (laughs) In Victorian times, short aristocrats would have six-inch holes dug wherever they went so that their wives could enjoy wearing high heels without being taller than their husbands. Susan.
3: Yeah, I'll have a bit of that. Ah. Mainly because I think everyone should stand in a hole, so I'm the same height as them.
0: (laughs) Do you know what yeah. it's
3: like to never have a face-to-face conversation with any other human being apart oh. from a 13-year-old child? <laughs> Shakira. Actually...
0: You could chat to Shakira. She's, I... very, she's very short. She's not
3: as short as me. Do you know the only people that are as short as me? Oh, no. uh, Kyla Minogue is as short as me. She's 4'11". Same height as her. Thank you. <laughs> Pingu. Pingu. <laughs> but you can't, you can't
1: hold a conversation with Pingu. No. <laughs> As you're already implying, by the way you're advocating this, it hasn't happened in the past, right. so it's uh, not true.
4: Yet.
3: Yet. But Josh.
4: <laughs> right, to recap. Uh, Aristocarrats
0: would have a six-inch hole. Yes. T- yes. t- Previously. Yes. <laughs> Previously in holes. Mm. Um. I think you just said aristocarats there, which <laughs> is, I think, a vegetable <laughs> with a top hat. I'm really enjoying <laughs> just thinking I about mean, that. Think was
3: sweet when he uh, said that. Aristocarrots!
1: let's, quite seriously, Aristocarrots is marketing gold. That's, that's the must have toy this Christmas. It's got the Downton Abbey chic, it's got eating more healthily. Come on! Aristocarrots, Lord Carrot, Lady Carrot, the little carrots, the radish butler. Come on! We can't. We're we're wasting our time here. We need to be getting down to Mattel and pitching (laughs) Aristocarrots.
4: Josh, carry on. (laughs) Should we move on to the next paragraph? Golf was originally played without a hole, with the first game taking two Scotsmen three years to play before they called it a draw. (laughs) Lloyd. I'm just guessing. Did it
2: used to be that it was the nearest to the flag rather than in the hole? So that's Mm. why... That
4: is a very clever reasoning, but wrong. (laughs)
2: Yes, no, unfortunately, they always had the hole.
4: Holes dug in the beach to make sandcastles are responsible for more fatalities in the US than shark attacks. (laughs)
1: Lloyd. I'll have a guess at that. You're absolutely right. Yes. (laughs) Between, um... Between 1990 and 2007, only 12 people were killed by shark attacks in America, but 16 were killed by falling into holes, dug in the sand to make sandcastles and other beach fortifications. (laughs) As a result, Dennis Arnold, who runs a beach patrol at Martha's Vineyard, has instructed lifeguards to stop children digging holes. Mr Arnold was quoted as saying, Some parents protest. They say, You're ruining my kid's day. And I say... I don't care. <laughs>
4: <laughs> every 10.5 seconds, someone somewhere in Britain starts to dig a hole in the road. <laughs> Lloyd. Does
2: someone in Britain dig a hole every 10.5 seconds? No. Uh, yes. Oh. yes. <laughs> um...
1: According to the Department of Transport, there are around 3 million roadworks carried out in Britain every year, which works out as one every 10.5 seconds, or an average of 8.3
4: roadworks per kilometre of road. It is thought by some theorists that every great character in children's literature has been based on a different type of hole-making equipment. (laughs) Charlie Bucket was based on Roald Dahl's Spade. The Very Hungry Caterpillar was written about hole-punch, And Aslan's adventures at the back of the wardrobe were inspired by an electric drill C.S. Lewis owned that looked like a lion. Ah! Susan.
3: Yes. (laughs) One of them was right.
4: Could I... And
1: and I accept I'm just being sexist. (laughs) 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 Could could I trouble you for which one, you think? One or
3: ones
1: (laughs) might be true?
3: Uh, Yes, you you may trouble me for that. And I believe that the one that is uh, correct there is the Very Hungry
0: Caterpillar. Oh, my goodness. No. Sorry, you're absolutely right. Yes.
1: Author Eric Carle has admitted that the inspiration for the best-selling book came from punching holes in paper. Originally, the story starred a bookworm and was called A Week with Willie the Worm. Risky. Um, before Carle's <laughs> editor suggested a caterpillar might be less
4: creepy. More appropriate. The hole in doughnuts is widely believed to have been invented by a sea captain in order to thread them onto the spokes of his ship's wheel. The hole in polos, which is the exact size of a pencil was invented as a measurement to judge if an animal was a mouse or a rat. As everyone knows, the only difference between these two creatures is a mouse can fit through a hole as wide as a pencil, where a rat can only fit through a hole as wide as a laptop. <laughs> Susan.
3: I had uh, Renticle round, because we've got mice, and Ooh. he used a pencil to see where the mice were coming in from. So it's the pencil one is correct.
1: You're absolutely right. <laughs> yes. Yes.
3: <laughs> the uh, the rental man came round, because uh, he chewed through the electrical wires. And the rental man said, "You should get a cat." And he turned round, and my three cats were sitting on the sofa, just going, <laughs> "I don't really think so." Thanks very much. So we've still got mice and cats that can't be bothered, because I don't want to kill the mice. I just don't yeah. want them to chew the wires. So, yeah. is there
2: is there a way of uh, successfully removing their teeth?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think.
1: I mean, there is a there is a way, but I think it's quite labour intensive. <laughs> It involves catching a mouse, uh, sedating it, and taking it to some sort of veterinary dentist. That's Which, not, that's when not... you've got... If you, say, have 50 or 60 in the house, then yeah. that's a, really, it's that's a, a bit big much. job. <laughs> and then, actually, you think, you've got these 50 toothless mice running around the place. You spend your whole time liquidising cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth it. <clears throat> She's dairy, Lee. They could the, probably uh, gum down a brief. And, <laughs> yeah, it's actually not as big a problem as I thought. Um, um, and that's the end of Josh's lecture. Um, and uh, at the end of that round, Josh, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel which is that the hole in donuts is widely believed to have been invented by a sea captain in order to thread them onto the spokes of his ship's wheel in the mid 19th century captain hanson gregory is said to have poked a hole in a deep fried dough ball during a storm as he needed both hands on the ship's wheel Um, and that means josh you've scored one point (laughs) next up is susan kalman Susan joins us in the aftermath of the Scottish independence referendum. A messy conflict between the eyes and the nose. Rather like Gordon Brown's face. (laughs) Susan, your subject is the cat or house cat, a small domesticated feline known for its thick fur, whiskers and ability to catch rodents. Off you go, Susan.
3: When I was 20, I fell out of a tractor and was knocked unconscious. When I came to, I found myself in a cave. As my eyes adjusted, I saw that I was surrounded by hundreds of cats. They took to me immediately because I had a university degree, a sure sign of a cat person. I wasn't frightened by the cats. They told me they only attacked humans when U2 came on the radio. Or when there was a Tom Cruise or Hugh Grant film on, as apparently Tom is allergic to cats.
2: Lloyd. Is Tom Cruise afraid of cats? Uh, he is allergic to cats. Okay, so that's Susan what I've guessed.
1: So yeah, you can have a point for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> other cat allergy sufferers include Bill Clinton, Sigourney Weaver, Billy Bob Thornton, and George Clooney.
3: Occasionally, the cave cats scratched my arms. I didn't mind. Cats have done far worse. In Hampshire, there's a bylaw that prohibits anyone letting a cat out of the house without a muzzle, since a fierce moggy once attacked seven postmen. Point of information, if you're ever attacked by a cat, the best way to defend yourself is to punch it in the nose.
4: Josh. Nose. I think you should punch a cat in... Well, I don't think you should punch a cat in <laughs> the nose. <laughs> Actually, I do, just to test the theory. <laughs>
1: Uh, That is not the best way to defend yourself against a cat. I'm
0: told by my notes.
1: I'm told by my notes here. The best way to defend yourself from a cat is to strangle it.
3: (laughs) The best thing is a bucket of water over the cat. Strangulation of a cat is a last resort.
1: (laughs) I I tell you what. I've 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 been around the block a few times and hardly ever have I felt the need to strangle a cat, so, you know.
3: My cat captors told me of their history. Muslim mythology dictates that the first cat came into being on Noah's Ark when God made a lion sneeze and out came a cat. Apparently, whenever they have the annual Cats versus Dogs Jamboree in Cardiff, dogs don't even put up a decent fight. Twister is easier for the felines, as they can turn their back legs 360 degrees. Guess who is always a whitewash, as cats have better memories than dogs, and the cats always win at battleships because of their war experience.
2: <sighs> Lloyd. It was definitely a truth in there, but I'm not really sure where. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I mean, I liked uh, cats have better memories than dogs. That you was know, the one I liked. Are you going with that? Yes, I'm going with that. That
1: is true. Thank you. You get a point. In 2006, researchers at the Université de Moncton in Canada reported that dogs remember things for five minutes while cats can remember things for 16 hours.
3: The cats shouted meow, meow, meow at me and I left. And every day I sit and wait for their signal for the time that my cat masters will rise up and destroy humanity. And I will be happy for they are my gods.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Susan. And at the end of that round, Susan, you've managed to smuggle three truths past the rest of the panel. And they are that a university degree is a sure sign of a cat person. Well, not quite a sure sign, but in 2010, researchers from Bristol University found that people who own a cat are more likely to have a university degree than those who own a dog. The study also found that cat owners were more likely to be female and living in smaller or single-person households than dog owners. (laughs) So it's not all good news. The second truth is that in Hampshire, a fierce moggy once attacked seven postmen. The cat would spit at postmen and jump at their throats. And the third truth is that Muslim mythology dictates that the first cat came into being on Noah's Ark when God made a lion sneeze and out came a cat. According to Muslim mythology, the cat was created by God in response to Noah's concern at the increasing number of mice on board the ark. He just needed a good veterinary dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that means, Susan, that you've scored three points. Completing our Celtic special, it's David O'Doherty. Your subject, David, is Marie Antoinette, an 18th century Queen of France known for her beauty, extravagance and execution by guillotine during the French Revolution.
0: Off you go, David. Due to a chronic flatulence problem from her pulse-heavy diet as a youth, Marie Antoinette insisted that beautiful aromas follow her around at all times. Her bedroom was filled with three tonnes of fresh flowers every morning. Her private flock of sheep were perfumed, and she employed a full-time servant known as Monsieur Oopsie. Lloyd, did uh, she have a farting problem? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm looking at that as a glass half empty. This is my finest hour, I think. As far as we know, she did not. <laughs> She employed a full-time servant known as Monsieur Oopsie, whose job was to accept responsibility for the foul smell, if anyone mentioned it. She's also credited with creating the phrase, C'est celui qui l'a dit qui l'est, the prototype of he who smelt it dealt it. <laughs> so eager to copy her style were the members of her court that they all carried tiny trumpets that mimicked the dreadful sound of her parps and would join in on a good slash bad day. (laughs) These instruments became popular nationwide and are today known as French horns. (laughs) Following advice from a quack doctor, for a time Marie Antoinette believed that carrying vegetables on her person may solve her problem. When she began to wear carrots and artichokes in her hair, just regular carrots, (laughs) not... (laughs) Although, technically, (laughs) when she wore them, they did become... (laughs) More aristocratic. (laughs) When she began to wear carrots and artichokes in her hair, a lady-in-waiting said, I shall never again wear anything but vegetables. Susan.
3: Uh, I think a quack doctor told her to wear vegetables for some reason.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No. (sighs) Lloyd. Lloyd. Did she wear vegetables in her hair?
1: She did wear vegetables in her hair. (laughs) Yes, and it's a lady-in-wait who did say, I shall never wear anything but vegetables. She was also wearing radishes at the time. Marie Antoinette was a big fan of vegetables and helped popularise the eating of potatoes in France by wearing potato blossom in her hair. Hmm. Previously, the French had eschewed potatoes because they weren't in the Bible. I mean, think about it. There'd be no cappuccinos, (laughs) no doughnuts. You know, you can't... It's not a cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's one supper. (laughs) And it's... Frankly, there's a bit of a weird atmosphere.
0: (laughs) David. Marie Antoinette bathed nightly in water imported from her Austrian homeland and heated to the precise temperature of her favourite cat.
4: (laughs) Josh. I think she bathed
1: nightly. Oh, well, she didn't bathe nightly in water imported from her Austrian homeland, which was the full assertion. Uh, uh, and I doubt she'd bathe nightly. They were, you French. know. French.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was said that she bathed only in carbonated water, but modern commentators now believe the water may not have been carbonated when she stepped into us and became carbonated as a consequence of her chronic ailment. Marie was not permitted to reach for anything herself, so unless the lady-in-waiting honoured with the job of passing her water was present, she had to go thirsty. Susan.
3: She wasn't permitted to reach for anything herself. Fact. That is a fact.
0: Yes. (laughs) Louis XVI did not consummate his marriage with Marie Antoinette for seven years. He put this down to a foreskin that was too tight. However, the royal consummation did coincide with the construction of a fully air-conditioned and fumigated bed chamber. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, I'm going
4: to have a go at the seven years and the foreskin.
0: Which
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, is a, that's a, a sentence I never thought <laughs> I'd say. Sounds like a title
1: of a sort of saucy fantasy novel. <laughs> <laughs> the, s- the seven years and the foreskin. Uh, that is absolutely true. Um, <laughs> Louis XVI was only able to consummate his marriage after being
0: circumcised age 22. Uh, my friend was circumcised at the age of 22 and as a gift we bought him the Phil Collins album No Jacket Required. <laughs> 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 Thank you, David.
1: <laughs> at the end of that round, David, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel, which is that Marie Antoinette's private flock of sheep was perfumed. The Queen escaped from the formalities of court at Versailles by inventing a parallel court in the palace grounds where she dressed as a milkmaid and tended to heavily perfumed sheep and goats. And that means that you've scored one point. (laughs) Marie Antoinette's marriage to her husband was famously hampered by his sexual limitations. So instead, she busied herself with marathon gambling sessions, on one occasion playing cards for three nights straight. Hang on. This all seems worryingly familiar. (laughs) um, Which brings us to the final scores. In fourth place, with minus three points, we have Lloyd Langford. In third place, with naught points, it's Susan Kalman. In second place, with one point, it's David O'Doherty. (laughs) And in first place, with an unassailable three points, it's this week's winner, Josh (laughs) Widdicombe. That's about it for this week. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Naismith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Josh Whittaker, Susan Kalman, Lloyd Langford and David O'Doherty. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and Colin Swash and the producer was John
3: Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.